So we're in week three of our, or excuse me, week four of our series, When Christians Get It Wrong. And this series is, is based around a fact that we know. And that is that um, young adults aged 16 to 29 are consciously rejecting the church, rejecting Christianity, um, primarily because of the way they see Christians acting in the world. Um, they see Christians being hypocrites. They see Christians saying terrible things about people of other religions. And often, after a major tragedy or a major natural disaster, Christians have a way of putting their foot in their mouth. You know this, don't you? You've seen this before, haven't you? When just after a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake or whatever natural disaster it may be, a talking head representing the Christian church says something like, oh, this is God's judgment for that city because of... Or that's God's judgment on those people because they... Or this is just one more example of how depraved we are as a society. You've heard these, right? These moments when what people are searching for are words of comfort and words that would help them put their lives back together, but instead they get words of punishment, words of judgment. Words that frankly do nothing but alienate them further from the only place where they can truly find the hope that they're looking for, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The text you heard read this morning is from the book of Job. In fact, it's Job's response to his three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. You can write those words down if you <laughs> consider them names for your children. Um, <laughs> This is Job's response to them. Now, let me tell you about Job's friends. Job's friends, they get it right in the beginning of the book. You, you know the story, right, of Job? Job um, is, is a man who's faithful to God, and Satan comes to God one day and says, I want to test Job, and so God says, okay, you can test Job, and so Satan afflicts Job uh, by destroying his family, destroying his crops and his fields, destroying his house and all of his property. Everything Job has is gone, and then on top of having everything lost, he's stripped with boils. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Boils. He gets boils all over his body. And the last scene we see at the beginning of the story is Job. And Job is sitting on a pile of broken potsherds and he's using these clay potsherds to scrape his boils when guess who shows up? His wife. His wife shows up. And you know what she says to him? She says, you're better off to curse God and die. And then she turns and walks away too. Job has nothing to show for his life. He has been thoroughly afflicted. He is broken and at his lowest point. And his three friends show up. And for the first seven days, do you know what they do? They sit with him in silence. They meet him in his grief. 
then they do what we all tend to do. And that is begin to try and explain something that is absolutely unexplainable. Why do bad things happen to people? Not just good people, but why do bad things happen to people? Why do tragic things happen to people? They, they begin to try and explain this to Job. Well, Job, it must be something that you did or something that you said, or maybe it was your children, or maybe something. Sure, there's some reason that you're being punished by God in this way, Job. Because everything happens for a reason, Job. When I think about some of the worst words that we can say to people in their grief and in their brokenness and in their heartache and in their pain, those words come to the forefront. Everything happens for a reason. Does it really? Does everything really happen for a reason? Does God orchestrate every single event? Does God orchestrate where the planes fly in the sky? I mean, surely He set into motion the universe, but does He make sure that the tornado goes just where it's supposed to go or the earthquake strikes in the population center or of a city? Does God do those things? Does God make sure that the hurricane sweeps, sweeps right through the poorest neighborhoods of the cities? Is that what God does? If so, it's a pretty monstrous picture of who God is, isn't it? When we say to someone who is suffering and grieving, everything happens for a reason, what are we really, what are we really saying? Are we saying that God is the one who gave them cancer? Are we saying that God is the one who took their newborn child? Is God the one who let their friend pass away? Are we saying that God thought through the possibility of those kinds of deep tragedies and determined that for some reason or another that this was the best course of events for His plan? Is, is, is that what we're saying? Because that's what people hear when we say those words. When we say everything happens for a reason, we're saying that whatever happened, whatever it was, happened because God wanted it to happen. And if that's the case, then God is... God is on the hook for some unspeakable... No, take that back. God is on the hook for every unspeakable tragedy. Every unspeakable hurt. Every unspeakable pain. And friends, that's just not who I know God to be. That's just... Not who God is. I've come to the place in my life... And in my faith, where I don't think that God has predetermined and fixed everything. I don't think He has. I don't think that everything happens because it's God's will. I do believe that God is in control and that God is the ultimate power in this universe. And that God can break the rules of physics. That God can answer prayers and intervene in our lives. God can do those things. He really can. But I don't believe. I don't believe that God orchestrates great tragedy in our lives, in our bodies, in our families or upon this earth. I don't believe that God is the one who puts those things into motion. When you think back about the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eve and Eden, that's partly a story about how God gives us the freedom of choice. You remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? 
Adam and Eve, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden with a tree and he sets boundaries and perimeters for them and says, I've got this one rule you should pay attention to. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. and Don't eat from the tree of life. Don't do these two things. And then God steps back and gives us the incredible gift of free will. He allows us to choose. God allows us to play a role in determining what will happen in our personal future and in the future of this world in which we live. He gives us the opportunity to choose our own path, choose our own adventure in this world, even when those choices hurt us and hurt the heart of God. God allows us to choose even when what we choose is not what God wants to see happen. If you're a parent, you know what that's like, don't you? You can see things that your children are about to do that are going to cause them great pain. And you know that you could step in and you could stop it from happening. But sometimes the best thing that you can do for them is to allow it to happen so that they can grow and so that they can mature. The Bible teaches us that God is like a father and that we are his children. And if God is all those things, if God is just and loving and kind the way a good father is, merciful, if God truly reaches out to sinners and the broken and wants to save them from themselves, and I believe that whatever God does in our lives has to be consistent with those characteristics of who he is. God has to be consistent with His love and His grace and His mercy and His character, which is just. So maybe the question we ought to be wrestling with is if God is loving and just and kind, then why doesn't God at least stop some of these bad things from happening? If God has the power to stop these things from happening and God is loving them, why doesn't He stop it? And that's a really important question and the most honest answer that I can give you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that no matter how bad it seems, and no matter how dark the night may be, no matter how deep the hole that we may have dug for ourselves, no matter how hurt or how broken we may find ourselves, no matter how tragic the events of our lives may be or the events in the world around us may be, there's one thing that I do know. I may not know why things happen the way they happen, but I do know that no matter what happens, God is with us. That God is with us when we're standing on the mountaintop and God is with us when we're in the ditch. That God is with us in our moments of great triumph and that God is with us in our moments of deepest pain and deepest brokenness. God is with us. Do you know that's what they call Jesus? That He is Emmanuel, God who is with us in the flesh, who knows our pain and knows our brokenness and knows our suffering and meets us in the hour of our deepest need. Meets us in the hour of our deepest need that we might receive life and hope and grace and peace. This is what God does for us. So what are we to do as Christians when tragedy happens? What are we to do? 
when something horrific happens in our world, whether it's on a global scale or in our own lives or in the lives of our friends, the answer to that is that we exercise compassion. If you trace the word compassion back to its Latin root, it means to suffer with. We get it right as Christians when instead of pronouncing the reasons why things happen to the world, we simply suffer with the broken. We suffer with the hurting and the marginalized and the oppressed and the beaten and the downtrodden and the malnourished and the impoverished. We get it right when we show compassion to the world in which we live. When we choose to suffer with others, we represent the living Christ to those who are hurting and in pain. In fact, Paul tells us in the New Testament that we are the body of Christ. We are the physical manifestation, the incarnation of Jesus' presence, God's presence in this world. So when God wants to do something, do you know who He sends? He sends you. And He sends me. Because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And our task is to meet the world in the very same way that Christ met us in the hour of its deepest need, in the moment of its deepest darkness, so that we can offer hope to the hopeless and healing to the broken and life to the forgotten. Because we are the church. And we are called to do for the world what Christ has done for us. Adam Hamilton received an email. He's the author of the book, When Christians Get It Wrong. Uh, A lady was going through a time, a traumatic time in her life, where her husband was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and had to go off to receive treatment. So she had to leave behind her dying mother who had dementia and her two children to be with him so he could get the care that he needed. And after she moved through that traumatic time, she wrote about how Christians got it right for her and for her family. She says this, Christians got it right for us and for my family when they sent prayers through email, when they sent silly cards and letters to the hospital to cheer us up. They get it right when they move into your home and literally care for your children, when they bring meals to you, when they take your child to the emergency room at midnight, when they help you assemble a Christmas gift for your children at 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve because they know that you can't do it by yourself when they travel over a thousand miles to hold your hand, when you are all alone and waiting with uncertainty. Christians get it right when they give you gift cards and ga- for gas and food, when they offer to be with your dying mother until you can get there, and then buy a tree for you to plant in her memory when she passes. Christians get it right when they give you hope, courage, and strength when you can't see- seem to find your own way. My family has been touched by Christians who get it right, and we can never repay all of the people who are at our side, and they don't want us to, because they did it out of love. They did it because they were Christians, and that's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. I want us to be those kind of Christians.
I want us to be that kind of church that doesn't just talk about why things happen, but meets people the way Christ met us in the hour of their deepest need, offering hope and life. Amen.